0: Hello and welcome to It's More Than Money. It's More Than Money has a focus to bring you inspiring stories from real people who strive to improve every day. People who aren't willing to settle for the status quo, they've shaken off any limiting beliefs they might have had and they've just gone after what they really want in life. We'll have all kinds of guests, we'll have business owners, entrepreneurs, masters of the mind, industry game changers and money experts who will all, through their own stories, provide invaluable insights into creating a life you never thought possible well hello listeners to it's more than money podcast and today is, a, is one episode uh, which is focused on our um, business series so for business owners we're getting all the sorts of information all sorts of experts to come on and talk about all things business and what matters most and today i have a very 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 wise a very experienced man malcolm mccone he's a practicing legal partner since the early 70s a lawyer specializing in estate planning and now uh, and has been for some time partner in macomb Matsinger lawyers a legal firm on the sunshine coast since 1999 and malcolm i appreciate your time thank you very much for being on this episode that's a pleasure thank you for inviting me Colin. i'm looking forward to getting into this because i myself and i'm very very confident you have also seen a lot of issues come about through a uh, not so properly drafted will so To get started, let's, um, I guess, clarify some of the key components of an effective estate plan. If you're looking at your
1: estate planning, you have to consider a number of aspects to it. Initially, of course, you've got your will, which is the critical and central document that's going to direct primarily what's going to happen to your assets in the event of your death. It can deal with a lot more than just that and should deal with more than that depending upon your circumstances. However, that's the the primary sort of focus of a Will. And in estate planning, you're also looking at other aspects, not just aspects after death, but you also need to address issues before death, particularly in the event that you might lose capacity, either through an accident, through age, through health issues, and you need to consider having an enduring power of attorney in place. You also need to address in your estate planning your superannuation, because superannuation, while it is an asset of yours in in the sense that it's an asset you've developed and earned, it's not your asset to deal with, until such time as the superannuation laws permit you to, and therefore there are special rules you should consider addressing in your estate plan. So it's a a combination of of a will, enduring powers of attorney, and if you have superannuation addressing your superannuation.
0: I think it's important to point out there too, Malcolm, that the Superannuation side, what I've experienced is people automatically assume that superannuation just forms part of their estate. They don't necessarily draw a line between superannuation and their will, if in fact they do have a will. So, can you just shed some light on how they differ and how one doesn't necessarily play into the other? Absolutely. Um, Yes,
1: superannuation is, in general terms, poorly understood. And particularly its position uh, in relation to estate planning. Your superannuation resides in a trust, a special trust, which is subject to the superannuation laws, the federal laws dealing with superannuation. And therefore, it is not going to automatically fall into your assets to be dealt with in your estate in the event of your death. Indeed, when you die, Your superannuation will, unless you have taken steps to deal with it otherwise, it will be subject to the discretion of the trustees of your superannuation fund. And That doesn't matter what sort of fund you are in. The rules are the same for all funds, retail funds, industry funds or self-managed funds. So, you, for example, uh, might be in Q Super, well, if you die, Uh, Leaving superannuation, and you've done nothing to direct the trustees of Q Super about how you want that superannuation to be dealt with, they have a discretion. Who are they going to pay that to? They can pay it to any one of your dependents or to your estate, and they can pay it in whatever proportions they believe are appropriate. And that's um, not always the best thing. And in fact, it's often not the best <laughs> it's it's
0: not legislated is it as to what portions they need to pay in so if they uh, no, no okay it's
1: it's a uh, discretion it's complete discretion with okay. the, the superfund and uh look uh, they will use their best endeavors to make a, a wise and a, and a good decision but they won't necessarily have all the facts of your family available to them or have a true understanding And there's um, a superannuation complaints commissioner who is extremely busy dealing Mm. with complaints regarding decisions of trustees of superannuation funds, which um, various family members believe just simply aren't in the best interests of the family members. So it's a good idea if you step in while you have the capacity and and, Mm. uh, while you're alive, obviously, to um, direct where you would like your superannuation to go, and there are rules. You can't just you can't just say, "Oh, yeah, look, I'd like that to go to my brother or my sister." I'm sorry, the Lord simply doesn't allow that. So mm. there are some strict rules that have to be complied with, and there are strict formalities as well, because well, superannuation is often a very significant amount, and therefore it needs to be dealt with, with care and precision.
0: Okay, so the two parts we spoke about so far is establishing a will, and a will more or less, and you can convey this better than I do, Malcolm, but a will more or less instructs where assets are to go in the event of a person's death. And the superannuation, as we've confirmed now, it doesn't necessarily form part of that estate. And its superannuation can be paid out on death in accordance with what the trustee decides if the individual so let's say for example me if I have not told Q super where I want my money to go when I pass away Q super will make the decision on my behalf so how do we how do, would I or how would anyone listening make sure that their superannuation I really want to point out here and be very very clear that any amount of life insurance that sits in your super fund will also form part of the amount of money that gets paid out so if, for example, my superannuation balance is currently two hundred thousand, I've got life insurance of a million dollars. Should I die, the total pot of money to be paid out is one point two million. And if I haven't told Q Super where I want that to go, Q Super will make the decision for me. So, how do I change that, Malcolm? How do I make sure it goes to who I want it to go to?
1: There's been an evolving history of legislation around superannuation. As it stands. Presently, and which is a good position versus where it was years ago, you as a superannuant, as a member of a superannuation fund, have the ability to complete what's called a binding death benefit nomination. Now, that binding death benefit nomination is basically your instructions, your directions to the trustees of your superannuation fund, Q Super, Sum Super, whoever it might be. This is where I want you to pay my superannuation, and you can make that decision to balance out with the other estate planning arrangements that you're wanting to put in place, say, for example, under your will, so you might decide that you are going to pay assets that you own in your own name under your will to certain family members and that you will direct your superannuation to go to other family members or in, in specific proportions or amounts that you would like to occur. So you complete that binding death benefit nomination, and you must make sure that that binding death benefit nomination is, one, prepared accurately and precisely. It is in the nature of a will. It is sending assets that you've created in Mm. your lifetime to the persons you want to receive them. So that's the effect of a will. So it therefore has formalities around making a valid Binding Death Benefit nomination, which are very similar to the same formalities, as making a will. So it has to be made in the presence of two independent adult witnesses. Mm -hmm. They have to sign off and they have to make sure that you are aware of what you're doing and that they are witnessing that. Then having made your Binding Death Benefit nomination, you must make sure that it is actually delivered to the trustees of your superannuation fund, and that they acknowledge receipt of it, and that they also confirm that they will recognise your wishes and will act in accordance with your wishes. So there several steps that need to be done to make sure that you do have a valid binding death benefit nomination in mm. place. It's not something which should be taken lightly or just done by pulling out a pro forma document. I mean, one of the leading cases in Queensland uh, on how these things can go wrong is, in fact, a solicitor who used to practice here on the Sunshine Coast, very well known gentleman. He did his own binding death benefit nomination. He didn't Himself practice in that area of law, and he wasn't familiar with it. Long and the short was that his binding death benefit nomination was found to be invalid, and the whole of his superannuation went to persons who he did not intend it to go to. Um, so it's a uh, and and that case went up into the Supreme Court and was. Um, closely reviewed, and the Court said, no, I'm sorry. Use of, in in that case with um, uh, Barry Munro's, will, it was just one word he got wrong, but that invalidated all of the wishes that he wanted. Uh, uh, And so care needs to be taken to put it together. There are, however, pro forma binding death benefit nominations that may be available on your superannuation provider's website. Okay. Um, You may be able to download them, there may be notes about them, but I would strongly recommend that in finalising your binding nomination, you make sure that you get professional advice to ensure that it's been completed properly and it's going to reflect the wishes and the intent that you have.
0: 100% agreed. And even one of the things that I've seen over the years is where that binding death benefit nomination is completed, by an individual to give to their super fund. And the two witnesses, they might've just grabbed a couple of people at their, at their work or might've been some friends around that they had the witness sign that they date it at a different date to what it is that, for example, I signed it as wanting to make the nomination. So it's just those little things that we probably take for granted that, okay, it's all done, it's filled out and we send it in. But as you've touched on, it's important to get the proper advice it doesn't take a lot to do. What would take, I guess, a lot to do is, I guess, bringing a will together as to how you want your estate assets distributed if you were going to pass away. And in particular, in and around the binding death benefit nomination in super, who can, as adults, who can we nominate to receive that money on our death and who can't we nominate?
1: Under the superannuation laws, the persons who you can nominate to receive your superannuation, are limited. They are limited to persons who are defined under the legislation as being dependents of yours. Now, don't take the word dependents literally because it has a common meaning, which is very, very different mm. to the meaning of dependents under the superannuation laws. Um, dependents are specific family members. So it includes, for example, spouses. It also includes children, but it will include adult children, for example, who might be 50 years of age and yeah. who are even retired. They are totally mm. independent. They are not, in the normal sense, dependents,
0: yeah.
1: but under the superannuation legislation, they do fall into that category. They can mm. be nominated, they can receive superannuation under a binding death
0: benefit nomination. And it would be it would be helpful if, uh, if superannuation legislation used a different word because the way I think of dependence and, and I've experienced with clients is that, well, it's a child. It's a 10-year-old or it's a 12-year-old. It's, a, it's someone who's dependent on me or it's an adult child who has a disability and we still have to cover costs and do their shopping and help them out. But it's not like that at all. It's no. specifically, as you say, it's just simply a close, or well not necessarily close, but a member of the family, is that right?
1: It's a, yeah, that's yep. totally right, Kai. It's, it's a defined relationship, and it's not necessarily a dependency relationship in the ordinary sense of dependency. However, persons who are not even direct family members, either by blood or by marriage, can still be potential recipients of your superannuation. Persons who are financially dependent upon you who are not direct family members, persons who under the legislation have what is called an interdependency relationship, they Mm -hmm. can be nominated. So it might be, for example, a housekeeper or someone who's paid money to them on a regular basis and they need that money to survive. So you could provide for them with your superannuation. On the other side of the coin, you cannot provide, as I mentioned before, you can't provide for brothers or sisters or mm. sideways um, members of your family.
0: And I, for example, I can't leave it to my mother. Uh, so correct. Be, yeah. Okay.
1: That's right. Mm. So, so you need advice on that, and not just to grab and nominate the persons who you think would yeah. be entitled to receive. The the other manner in which you can direct your superannuation is not necessarily to an individual, but it can be to your estate.
0: Mm. So
1: let's say that you did have a mother, um, a brother, a sister, or, or just a friend um, who you wanted to provide for, then though you couldn't make a binding death benefit nomination in their favour, you could complete a will which provided for them, and you could then complete a binding death benefit nomination which sent your superannuation into your estate so that it funded that bequest out to the family member or the person you yeah. to. So you can achieve these things, but I'm talking when about when you're making a binding death benefit nomination, nominating a payment directly. Now that actually raises another issue which needs to be understood. If I make a binding death benefit nomination in favour of, let's say, a family member, my spouse, and that's valid, then that is a payment which, on my death, will go from my superannuation fund to the nominated dependent. Now, The effect of that legally is it hasn't gone through my estate, and therefore it is not treated as a provision that I have made for that person in my will or in my estate. Now, when you are making a will, everybody who makes a will has a legal obligation as to who they should have in mind as a potential beneficiary when you make your will, and if you disappoint one of those (laughs) beneficiaries, put it politely, (laughs) they may have a legal right to make a claim against your estate, seeking to get further provision out of your estate Mm. more than you allowed for. The point I'm trying to make here is that a payment through a binding death benefit nomination directly from your superannuation provider to that person is not a payment which satisfies your legal obligation to provide for particular family members under your will. And okay. therefore, again, care needs to be taken when you are doing your will and your binding nomination to make sure that you have balanced your legal obligations that exist when you're doing your estate planning. So, for example, I would make a, a simple example. I suppose I die, I've got three three kids, and uh, and my wife has died before me. So, I decide I'm going to leave all of my superannuation to one of my children And because that's going to one of my children, I'm not going to include that child in my will. Well, that child will have a claim that they could mount against my estate for dad not providing for them adequately in their will. And so you need to be careful of these things. That's what I'm. So with
0: the, with the, in that instance, would that child, let's say child number one got, was given or was the beneficiary as nominated by you, child number one was the beneficiary of your superannuation money, and then the other two children were the beneficiaries of what was in the estate, which might have been the family home, the car, some contents, furniture, things like that. Now, where that becomes, uh, where child number one complains and wants to challenge the will and the terms of the will if that ends up going through, let's say, legal battles or even through the court system, will the court factor in at all? And you've possibly answered this, but I just want to be clear. Will the court factor in at all the money that's come out of superannuation?
1: I can't say that the court won't take that into account. But under the Succession Act, which is the act which governs the entitlement of disappointed family members to be able to claim against an estate, doesn't need to be taken account of, no. Okay, and so you, it all depends on the circumstances of the matter, and uh, you know there may be, for example, if it was raised in the court proceedings and that child had received the superannuation money, they may say, well, that was a different issue. That was an agreement I had with my father. Um, because I had done work in the family business or I'd looked after him or yeah. I'd done this or that or the other. That wasn't to cut me out of being an equal beneficiary under his will. And so...
0: Yeah, I got gotcha. you.
1: ...automatically taken into account. It is not. it It's quite separate payment. And, and it can be used as well because it is such a separate payment which doesn't fall into the estate. It can be a, an effective... Device to block claims, if I can put it that way.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: uh, so when you're, I've, I've certainly had examples of clients coming to me wanting to do their estate planning, and they have had issues with a family member be it a, a, a spouse or a child or whatever it might be, and they strongly feel that they shouldn't, that particular child, for example, shouldn't be entitled to receive their full share of their estate, for want of a better word.
0: Mm.
1: So if they have money in superannuation, they can use a binding death benefit nomination to keep their superannuation out of their estate and to ensure that if that child who they don't have a good relationship with makes claim against their estate, then the superannuation will never be subject to that claim Mm. because they have directed the superannuation to go to other beneficiaries, other tenants, other children, say, for example, who they have a good relationship with. So it can be be a um, a device that can be used in certain circumstances in estate planning to achieve a willmaker's wishes, which would otherwise, if everything had to go into the estate, that means everything would be potentially subject to a claim yeah. by children who were disappointed with how much they'd been left under the will.
0: Okay.
1: Using the binding death benefit nomination. Maybe be possible to avoid those funds from being subject to that claim.
0: So just, to, just before a recap on, a well, will, in its basic form and how superannuation plays a role on death, uh, before a recap on that, just quickly I want to check if a death benefit nomination is made to an individual, for example, I left or sort of nominated my mother to receive my super and technically, as you've highlighted, that's not possible. She cannot be a beneficiary. Where does the money go and does it just come back to what you said earlier, the superannuation fund trustee ultimately decides how the money's paid out? Does that mean my death benefit nomination is effectively void?
1: Yes, that's correct. In that instance um, that you've spoken of, Kai, it would be a failed binding death benefit nomination that would be of no effect and the trustees of the super fund would then just have the discretion. Where they're going to pay it, which beneficiary, which dependents, or am I? Are the trustees going to pay it into the estate? But there are, there are, however, levels of binding nominations. There is the binding nomination, which might be an indefinite binding nomination. By that I mean that you make your binding nomination; it will continue as a valid binding nomination until you change it or revoke it. Mm -hmm. Then there is a what's called a lapsing binding nomination. This comes through the historical development of the superannuation laws. And a lot of people will have heard of binding nominations that need to be renewed every three years. And if they don't get renewed, so if I make a lapsing nomination and after three years it has lapsed and is no longer binding. It may still sit there as a guide and as a direction to the trustees of my superannuation fund, which they may choose to follow, but it is non-binding at that stage, Mm. so the trustees are not required to. But in the case where you had mentioned where you make an invalid binding nomination, and you mentioned one before, where, for example, there weren't appropriate witnesses present when the binding nomination was executed, well, it's going to be invalid and therefore the trustees can totally ignore
0: it. Completely. Yeah. And I want to share too, there was a particular case some years ago now where a an individual knew of his mother had a will and his mother had superannuation. And within the superannuation, the mother had made a death benefit nomination to two children, Of the three children that she had and they're all adult children she was an older lady now she also had a will and the will only left anything to the two children of the three that she had so in short and this is very very common one of the children had been uh had effectively had a falling out with the mother and the mother then had instructed all assets effectively to go to the other two adult children now on the mother's death The superannuation, it was an industry fund, again, they're all the same, they all follow a a reasonably or reasonably the same set of laws, if we call it that. The industry fund had decided that because the death benefit nomination was not binding, so this is called a non-binding death benefit nomination for listeners, then the trustee ultimately chose how to distribute the mother's superannuation money, including the life insurance component that was in there. Now, what happened with that is that this industry fund or the superannuation fund wrote out to the daughter in this instance four times and kept chasing up the daughter four times to get a response. On the fourth time, they finally got a response from the daughter to say, yes, I acknowledge that my mother's passed away and I may be entitled to some money off her superannuation. In that instance, the superannuation fund allocated a third of the money to that daughter, Now, what I really want to point this out for is that the mother seemingly had followed all the instructions of putting together a properly drafted estate plan. She gave a nomination to the super fund, which clearly stipulated her two sons out of the three children altogether. She drafted a will and got legal advice on that to clearly outline everything is left to the two sons and not the daughter. But still, because it was a non-binding nomination in super, then the trustee of the super fund ultimately had discretion where that money went to, and they felt it was appropriate to pay it out in thirds to the three children. So, I guess that for me that encapsulates what we've spoken about so far is about being very exact and getting legal proper legal advice on who you're leaving your money to, a clear line in the sand that exists between superannuation money and money or assets that can come into an estate, such as a house or contents or cars and things like that. And if the two are to cross over, then it's usually under legal advice that the superannuation gets paid to the estate, but it's all specific to the individuals. So, Malcolm, just if I guess some key points to recap what we spoke about. What would you add around the wills and the super side? Just before I move on to that, it's
1: okay, Kai, there... There was a legal case decided in Queensland in the last 10 years, which is straight down the line of what you example you were giving there, but it's even more graphic than that, and it was a case where there were basically only three members of the family, mother, father and son. Son suffered from significant uh, disabilities, and here's an adult son. And the father had left the home, wasn't wasn't remotely interested in looking after the mother or the son. The son worked, he developed superannuation, he grew his superannuation, his mother looked after him when he was needy, and uh, he completed a non-binding death benefit nomination, 100 per cent in favour of the mother. The mother, he then died. The mother ended up being the trustee of that self-managed superannuation fund, and she followed the non-binding nomination and paid, or she actually sought an order from the court that it would be in order for her to pay the superannuation to herself. The father, having left the home many years before, not interested, she looked after him. There was a non-binding nomination clearly showing that the deceased son wanted her to receive it. And the court said, I'm sorry, you are the trustee of the super fund. There is another law which says you must never exercise a discretion as a trustee in your own favour
0: mm.
1: or it, by legal requirements, divvied up approximately half a million dollars between the father, who had left oh. the
0: money,
1: as before, and the mother. And, 50, 50. and it shows how a non-binding nomination can really wreak havoc mm. in a state plan. There was no doubt that the son wanted his mum yeah. after him so well to, to benefit. But by twist of the law, And by him not having a proper and valid binding nomination um, didn't happen. So Mm -hmm. coming back to your your query about tying up the the issues of binding nominations with your will and your estate plan, the two have to be considered at the same time. They have to be, they one needs to balance and work effectively with the other. And that might be that your binding nomination simply sends all of your superannuation into your estate and your will controls it all yeah and might be the best outcome that that may be there are taxation issues however that need to be taken in mm. and it's more than just you and your lawyer you really should be bringing in should be bringing in further advisors advisors who can identify what is the most financially efficient, so that's your financial advisor, and the most taxation efficient, which is your, usually your accountant, mm. um, means of, of setting all of your documents up your will, your
0: death
1: benefit, benefit nomination, etc.? But the importance is that they work cooperatively together as documents and they are part of one plan, part of one estate plan.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, I can tell you and agree with you there, Malcolm. That um, as far as working the numbers, it's not just about who gets what when it comes to beneficiaries, but it's also, as you alluded to, how it can be passed on the most tax-effective way. Because there are strategies to minimise the tax payable by the beneficiaries. So, for example, adult children can pay, you know, a good one fifth of the money can we go to the tax man. So. It's a really, really important conversation to have is about how this tax can be minimized, how things can be structured now versus when it just acts when, for example, death actually happens. So it's about planning for these occurrences, which is why we're having this conversation is about putting the right plans in place. So when the issue does arise, whether it's death or disabled or otherwise, there's then not more issues that need to be factored in or issues that cannot be avoided through lack of planning a lot earlier. I think a really really important issue one that's not tended to and it doesn't necessarily uh, take a long time to put together especially when we're talking around that superannuation side but it's a matter of just applying the time to get it right because it avoids a lot of issues in the back end which you've seen a lot of too malcolm haven't you
1: very much and it it comes back to as you say getting it right being precise about the documents so every binding death benefit nomination which we've been talking about a lot this morning, um, it must be based upon the terms of your trustee. and if you're with Q it is the Q super trustee and if yeah. you're with Host plus host plus if you've got a self-managed superannuation fund, it is the terms of your self-managed fund trustee. Too many people pull out a blank pro forma document and think one-size-fits-all. Mm. Absolutely so dangerous, I can't emphasise more, <laughs> you know. You've seen the, the messes. Basic rules are: read the deed, read the deed, <laughs> read the deed.
0: And fair to say, Malcolm, you have a crystal ball. You've seen people in positions where they don't have a properly drafted will. They then come sought legal advice, whether it be um, a spouse or whether it be a sibling or otherwise that have come to you and gone, hey, my brother, my husband or my, my partner didn't sort of draft things too well by the looks of it, what can I do here? And you're sort of in a position then you go, well, you don't have many options because this should have been done before the fact, before death or before disablement, and now it makes it a lot harder. It's,
1: it is. It's, it's a complex area. It's, um, it, it doesn't need to be, you don't need to make it complex. No. You have to address the complexities. And you have to, as you say, get it right. And if you don't get it right, you've also got to recognise. And it's uh, look, it's tried to say, but it's it's something that people um, don't don't understand well enough or have in mind well enough. And that is that if you draft, you decide to do your own will, you write it out, even if you're a lawyer, and it makes sense to you. If you have Left an ambiguity, not addressed your legal obligations. Left some issue or problem in there. You will not be there to say what you wanted or what you intended. No. Hmm. It will be in the cold glare of a courtroom with people who have a different agenda. Clearly, a different agenda because they're wanting to argue about your words. Yeah. A different agenda to what you wanted. And so it's so important to get it right and to spend the time and to spend the few dollars that's necessary to achieve that.
0: And I want to add to that too, Malcolm, about getting it right is about getting it the way you want it. So, as the individual and any listeners who seek legal advice with regards to an estate plan, It's about you getting clear on what you want to happen should you pass away. You don't have to figure out the legalities. You don't have to figure out the potential twists and turns. That's what the likes of Malcolm are for. They're here to steer us and and any listeners in the right direction to say, okay, I've heard what you want for your estate. I've heard what you want for your children, your spouse, or whatever it may be. I can advise you what the best way to structure this is. So. I just wanted to be clear that it's not left for people, and it's been actually outlined today that basically don't do a DIY because it can be an enormous amount of complications. Seek the advice, and you get guided in the right direction.
1: If I look at, say, the last 10 DIY wills that I have reviewed, I would say less than, far less than 10% of those wills would not have problems in them, which would be likely to result in many thousands of dollars of court battles. Yeah. For want of a better word. And and it's not just, look, arguing over an estate is a very expensive business, but it's not just the dollars. It's also that it comes at a time in people's lives when they are struggling with the stress and the emotions of having lost a family member to add on top of that the the absolute stress and significant expense of a potential claim, and it might be one that is created innocently Mm. uh, in the sense that you have done your own DIY will but you have sort of messed it up and left a big ambiguity in there or not dealt with an asset, you know, Mm. one of the things that I see in wills that are homemade that is a huge danger As people try and deal with assets on a this goes to that person this goes to that person this goes to that person and they don't think about what's going to happen as they change their assets or mm. the, the balance of the assets that they then go out and they buy something else that
0: yeah. they haven't
1: even got in the will and, and so they they
0: end up with what's called partial intestacies. Ah, okay. Not
1: valid and the rest is undisposed of. So,
0: I have seen examples of that where someone had done their own will, but they'd added in the ironing board, certain tea towels, a certain chair, and certain cutlery, and all those sorts of things. And as you said, that, and for those listening, intestacy means you, you're effectively dying without a will, or part of the will is invalid. Is that right. right? So if they change assets, if they change the tea towels over or they've gotten rid of the pedestal fan, that no longer forms part of the will, but the will hasn't been updated to reflect that, then part of the will is invalid, which yeah. makes it a bit trickier. So it's not that specific. You don't have to get that specific with your belongings if you want to leave it to someone.
1: <laughs> no, I was just going to say, just touch on, on the fact that if you die without a valid will, then... There are rules in the Succession Act which will say where your estate is going to go, mm. um, but they are fixed and rigid rules, and, again, they may very well not suit your family or what your intentions would be. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I can give a personal example of that to the extent that my father died um, two weeks after he died. Uh, had remarried, and he died without a will. And uh, there was myself and my two sisters, we are all still going to school. And um, because he had died without a will, the intestacy rules said, okay, this is where it's going. Two-thirds are going to the three kids, and that will be held in trust with a public trustee, mm. and one-third will go to the wife of two weeks. Well, yeah. that didn't work very well for our family. And... Uh, no. Yeah, so I strongly recommend that when you do die, you die leaving a valid will which says what you want to happen.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important to inject there that while this has sort of been numbers-based and it's talking about the movement of money on death, importantly, it's not just focused on the numbers. It's about that element of financial security. It's about that legacy. It's about that ongoing support for those loved ones or those closest to you, the left behind. And I know that I've experienced an example in particular, similar to your own, where there was a, a lot of toing and froing around, leaving money to children versus leaving money to a step parent, and those sorts of things. And it, it becomes a very, uh, quite a big emotional decision to decide exactly where this money is going. So, in that light, this isn't just about moving numbers around. It actually becomes an emotional decision, and to make sure that those left behind aren't dealing with a mess or a fight. That could have otherwise been avoided if everything was just drafted properly up front.
1: Absolutely, Kai. Um, it's and that's what that's what writing your will is all about. Um, it's it's about looking after your loved ones, looking after those people who mean the most to you and mm. doing it in a way that you think is going to work the best. The best within your means and the best for for each of them. And um It's such a human thing and such an important thing that it it needs care and attention and needs to be done correctly. Can I touch on something else as well? Yeah. It's not directly related to the numbers. It's more related to who you are going to appoint to administer your will. When you're making a will, you need to appoint executors who are the administrators of your estate and... Uh, the criteria for those executives is primarily that they are going to be good decision-makers. They don't need to be lawyers and accountants and financial advisors all wrapped up into one individual. Yeah. Somebody will think about making a good decision and going out and getting any professional advice they might need, but I so often have, say, mum and dad come to me and they are going to leave everything to each other in the first instance, but what's going to happen if the plane they're in doesn't land and both of them die? Well, they're going to appoint their three kids or their two kids to be the executors of the estate, etc. And I, one of the questions I always ask is how do kids get on? Mm. They, they get on well, and so often I get. Well, actually, no, they don't get on well at <laughs> um, But that's okay because after we've died, they'll see reason and they'll get on and make decisions cooperatively mm-hmm. together. Well, I don't know. I suspect that's fantasy land.
0: It's quite but, often the opposite. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. If they don't get on now, yeah. the chances that under those emotional and stressful circumstances that they'll get on then is yeah. a bad idea and the thing that compounds it and the thing that will make us need to understand is that when you appoint more than one person to act as executor of your estate all decisions must be unanimous yeah so you appoint your three kids and those three kids don't get on well it is a recipe for administrative disaster that's going to happen Mm. in your estate. Nothing to do with who you've left it to or how it's going to be. It's just the decision-making process because, unfortunately, the stresses that are likely to occur, the emotions that will hit the surface are not going to make the smooth sailing in Mm. administering your estate. So it's something that needs to be carefully thought through. Yeah. might well, be. You, you still have the three kids, but you appoint them successively one at a time. Yeah. Um, or you appoint the two that get on and you, you still include the third, but they come in if needed, not necessarily Yeah.
0: Straight.
1: You know, there's various ways of dealing with it, but it's something that needs to be thought about.
0: And it can be a little bit trickier, that one. Yeah. Because it's hard to predict how people might behave in those circumstances, and you need to be able to go forward and you know, instruct or make instructions within your will that you feel entirely comfortable, confident that that proposed executor is going to take care of things just the way you want.
1: Yeah, that that's true. And, and I mean, it's just a fact of life that um, the emotions when a loved one dies bring to the surface often a lot of issues that have been felt but undiscussed for many years. Mm, yeah, One of the biggest problems is that if they were issues that needed to be discussed with the deceased, well, they're no longer going to be available to discuss them. And and that manifests a whole whole range of emotions Mm. and and interactions and relationships between family members, which comes as a surprise um, often to
0: to yeah. So the probably clear message here is just get it done. Seek advice. (laughs) Apply a bit of time. And I have spoken to people in the past who was like, However, a couple will communicate, sit down, have a drink or two, put a pen to paper, exchange some ideas, at least get started on this process. Meet with yourself, Malcolm, and, and get some ideas on how it can be structured and things to watch out for, things you need to take care of. But importantly, it's about being clear for the for anyone listening, putting their estate plan together, it's being clear on what they want and how they want things to look. And someone like yourself, Malcolm, helps steer that legally to make sure it's all tied up and, will stay just the way they want.
1: I am also a great believer that when someone dies, there should be as few surprises as possible to other family members. And I often counsel my clients when they have made their estate planning decisions, I suggest to them to go out And without necessarily talking about the detail of what they might have put in their will, at least have family discussions and let people know what they can expect and what is intended to happen if that family member dies, so that it's not a complete out-of-the-blue surprise, disappointment, anger, all of those negative emotions coming to the surface. If there are things to be discussed, if there is going to be disappointment about that decision-making, if there is going to be issues to be put on the table, much, much better when the will-maker is still alive and around, might be hard, might be difficult, yeah. you can't do it, you know. You've got young kids. Yeah possible to be able to discuss the issues until they get to a certain age of maturity and whatnot. Sometimes it won't be possible because of the relationships, but where it is possible, have the conversation during your lifetime so that people at least have an idea of what, what estate plan you've put in place yeah. and, uh, and expect that to come to pass.
0: All incredibly invaluable information, Malcolm. I know this is a very detailed area and we could spend a lot more time going over it. And for our next session, we'd love to have you on to talk about business succession planning. That is a topic in its own right. Obviously, today, just recapping briefly, we've spoken about establishing a will and the importance that superannuation plays in that whole estate planning arena. And importantly, how there's a clear line between superannuation and the will side uh, some issues to consider. Please keep in mind, anyone listening, none of this today has been any advice whatsoever because we haven't been able to consider your personal circumstances. We don't know what's right for you. So please uh, reach out. And to do so, Malcolm, how would someone get a hold of you to start chatting to you about their estate plan?
1: If you if you
0: would like to
1: uh, contact uh, us at all, please, you can either go to our website at macomb lawyers Com.au, or by all means, you can uh, give us a ring. The phone number here is 0754431800.
0: Awesome, Malcolm. Thank you. I'm looking forward to chatting to you again too around business succession planning, uh, a complicated area. So we're unable to incorporate that into this episode, but looking forward to digging our teeth into that because there's some uh, potentially some bigger issues we need to avoid through that side of things as well. But uh, all, all totally doable. There's a solution for everything, and that's why we have experts like yourself on here, Malcolm. Thank you again for being on, and I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for having me, Kai. You're welcome.
0: Sure. And listeners, thank you for listening to It's More Than Money podcast. This is a uh, business series. We're talking to many and varied experts around how can we be better business people and how we can do things better for ourselves and our own lives and those around us. So thanks for listening, everyone. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for listening to It's More Than Money. This podcast has been recorded and produced at Brisbane Podcasting Centre. Before we go, don't forget to click on the subscribe button for this podcast and wherever you listen to it, give it a rating as well. If you'd like to find out more, you can always go to our website, parentfg.com, or you can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Please leave a suggestion for a future topic if you wish. By the way, we'd love to hear from you, so let us know your thoughts. We'll have another episode soon. Thanks for listening to It's More Than Money. Take care. We'll catch you next time.